What do the elections in America and the elections in Uganda have in common? We're going to find out on the Adrian Slade Show. The presidential motorcade has just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slade Show. We are in the middle of impeachment two election boogaloo. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, they're going to impeach Trump twice, you know, because... You can't do it just once, and he's only going to leave in about eight days, so let's go ahead and impeach him again. Why? I mean, they want to kick him while he's down. And we talked about on the Already Canceled podcast, if you check that out, be sure, heads up, if you do check it out, language warning, it's very unfiltered over there. (laughs) But we talked about how Twitter permanently banned Donald Trump. So did Facebook. All of these tech companies have gone after him. Now you got uh, Spotify, so I guess he can't listen to his Taylor Swift playlist. Uh, Pinterest, you know, because I think he's going to knit, he's going to knit an Afghan that says make America great again on it and sell it, you know, to make up for the loss of all of the, you know, Deutsche Bank and all the other lending facilities, the lending entities that decided to say, screw you, Donald Trump, we're not going to do business with you because you're for America, I guess, or something like that. Oh, but because it was the Capitol breach, the the riot in Capitol Hill is the reason. Take note of these names, by the way, because there's a lot of Republicans in on the impeachment sham. GOP Representative Jamie Herrera Butler, or Butler, she says she will vote to impeach President Trump. Quote, I'm not choosing a side. I am choosing truth. It's the only way to defeat fear. First off, we could have defeated fear when we stopped being wusses about the coronavirus. Because that's what this all is, is a fear campaign to minimize the economy, make you stay home, make you you vote by mail. It's all about fear. Allow you to got, allow you guys to have the control. You can go to the timeshares in the Caribbeans and wish us Thanksgiving and Happy New Year and Merry Christmas and, oh, stay safe, stay locked down, don't go anywhere. I've got some Uber Eats I need to pick up at my timeshare down here in the Caribbean. They don't care about you. They get to get their nails done. They get to get their hair did because they're public figures. You know, you, we, we get Bill de Blasio. He gets to go to the gym. You know, he, he gets to take uh, transportation that guzzles gas because he's a public figure, but you can't have all you guys doing it. It's that mentality that we're dealing with. And basically, they are giving rules to one side and taking rules from the other based off truth. Well, the truth is the capital breach is a little bit more nuanced than people want to admit to. And we talked about that on the last podcast where I actually have receipts. I've got evidence of more of these individuals who may have had other motives. They're not going there because they're MAGA and they want to, uh, they want to stand for, for the White House and stand for intection, uh, election integrity, which we don't have anymore. They want to impeach the president and they use what happened at the Capitol as a launching pad to do so, like they did with Charlottesville, and the people at the forefront are suspect as it is. This could be a Reichstag fire, you know, where the Germans burned down their own place and then blamed it on the opposition so they can go in and consolidate power. (laughs) So, Senator, uh, the Senate Majority Leader, the Cocaine Mitch. Remember, everybody loved Cocaine Mitch and and Lindsey Graham. He's going to get to the bottom of stuff. He's going to go on Hannity, and he's going to get to the bottom. Well, Cocaine Mitch, because none of them do. They're all frauds. He said he's not going to reconvene the Senate to accept the article of impeachment, ensuring a trial won't take place until after Trump leaves office. There you go. Let's do it then. You know, they pushed for the 25th Amendment with Mike Pence. That didn't happen. Thank God. But they were heading there. You have to think of the way the left operates. Here we are, conservatives. We want to conserve. We're playing on a different battlefield than they are. 
we're over here going, oh, well, we can't touch the filibuster because that'll set a bad precedent. Oh, wait a minute. You're going to send the ele- electors to be certified and, and Congress could actually take a stand and contest the electors? Oh, we don't want to do that. That might, that might set a bad precedent. And these bastards are over here going, 25th Amendment, which is designated for somebody who is completely mentally incapacitated that cannot even function with motor skills. We're going to use that to get rid of a guy because we don't like him. Oh, wait, we can't do that because Mike Pence isn't on board? That's right, we'll impeach him twice. Who cares about the history books and the precedents and all that stuff? Who cares about the fact that, you know, we're talking about Hillary Clinton and Mike Lee's over there going, well... It's, it's not a good idea to go after Hillary Clinton or another political campaign rival who may have engaged in illegal activity because it may make us look like a, a banana republic. You know, you're going after your political enemies. And then these bastards are over here impeaching them twice. Play on the battlefield you are given. Stop playing around with BS precedents and oh we want decorum and we want norms that's what conservative ink was peddling oh we gotta have decorum and we have to have virtuous uh leaders who you know they're upstanding people while what mark was it uh the, the governor from south carolina at the time was he going he was a republican he was the conservative guy going down to, what, South America, banging out some Argentina chick? Oh, we need somebody like Bill Clinton, you know, getting his rocks off on the Resolute desk, getting Hummers right there in the office, in the Oval Orifice. That's the decorum we, we need. We can't have some of it that mean tweets. And now they've relegated him into the darkness to where he can't even get his message across, and that's what they wanted to do. Relegate him to the darkness, and then when he's in the darkness impeach him again, and kick him while he's down. So when we get into the players that were in Capitol Hill, now, not all of them. There was quite a few Trump people in the Capitol Hill group. What I've seen in videos is really interesting because a police officer is actually telling them, hey, wait a minute, guys. We will let you through and let you into the room. Listen to this. Yeah, he's telling them, yeah, we'll just bring you on in. Just don't, you know, don't go crazy because somebody will get hurt. Take your time. We'll bring you on in. Why did they do that? Well, I don't know. Maybe it's because uh, AOC and the squad's crazy Democratic Socialist stormed Nancy Pelosi's office before. Maybe it's because the uh, Brett Kavanaugh hearing had protesters storm the, the Capitol building before. Remember when, uh, what's his name? Uh, Flake, Jeff Flake gets off the elevator and that immigration chick, immigration activist is like ripping in on him. I'm a, I'm a poor immigrant. No, you're not. You're a, you're a friggin' activist. All of that happened in Capitol Hill, gang. But this Capitol Hill uh, protest is different because it's MAGA people who care about America. Screw them. But then there are people that were littered in who were in the photos at the forefront Look at this guy. Remember the, the shaman-looking guy? He's got the American flag painted on his face, and he looks like a freaking Viking. You see him in all the photos. Well, this is from the National Pulse. Capitol Hill coup antagonist is a radical climate change activist. Arizona Central described Angeli, that's his name, I guess, Jake Angeli, who is recently charged with violent entry and disorderly conduct on the Capitol grounds by the Department of Justice, he is described as 
one of the hundred marching in Arizona in solidarity with climate strikes around the world in September of 2019. Hmm. I think a lot of the people that were supporting Trump aren't really down with climate change. The article's collection of pictures contains a total of three action shots of Angeli protesting the issue captured by two separate photographers. The images of Angeli's passion, uh, passionate participation in the protest are accompanied by the following captions, which describe him as, quote, leading the crowd in a yell and, quote, demanding action on climate change. Jake Angeli, shamanic practitioner, leads the crowd in a yell before the march in solidarity with climate change activism groups across the country to the Arizona State Capitol building Friday, September 20th, 2019. He marches from Maricopa County Courthouse to the Arizona State Capitol on Friday, September 20th, 2019, to demand action on climate change. Now, funny thing about this guy was a couple days ago, they were saying, well, we can't let him out of jail, but he really wants to because he only wants organic food. He's going to go on a hunger strike unless he gets organic food. That was my first indicator right there. Not to say there isn't vegans and vegetarians somewhere in the mix with the Trump supporters, but typically it's used as a political weapon on the left. Typically, if you are outspoken about your veganism, it's on the left. Remember, how do you know a vegan? They're going to freaking tell you they're one. They're going to walk up to you. You could be in the middle of, of buying shoes. Hey, how do these kids look? Do you think they're going to look good with them? Yeah, they are, but I think they're made from the hide of, of the woolly mammoth, and we can't eat those. We need to eat beans and, and maybe even uh, chocolate-covered crickets because that's what the UN wants us to eat. They want, they want us to eat bugs and freaking beans. So this guy is obviously not... A MAGA guy. Well, then we got another one from the New York Times. Listen to this. Aaron Mostofsky. He is the son of a Brooklyn judge, and he is arrested over role in riot at the Capitol. This is the New York Times. Aaron Mostofsky, who was taken into custody in Brooklyn on Tuesday, faces four federal charges, including theft of government property. Draped head to toe in fur pelts, a bulletproof vest strapped to his torso. The son of a Brooklyn judge wandered the halls of the U.S. Capitol, stopping amid the melee to give an interview while clutching his riot shield. He said, quote, we were cheated, he told the New York Post, parroting President Trump's baseless claims of election fraud, which aren't baseless. I mean, hell, they went home at 8 o'clock at night. Oh, yeah, let's get some shut-eye, gang. Let me get some more milk. We're going to count the votes in the morning. Oh, wait, magically, some 100,000 votes showed up all for one person. Amazing how that happens. You know how amazing it is? It's like lightning strike. You know, it's, it's like lightning striking somebody in the middle of the field. Only it happened again in Arizona, I mean, in Georgia, uh, about a month or so later. Same thing. Eight o'clock, Chatham County says, ah, shut it down. We'll count in the morning. Guess what? So we lost on that. So they're not baseless claims, New York Times. I don't think 75 million people voted for Trump. I think it was close to 85 million. Well, Aaron Mostofsky was arrested on federal charges, part of a national manhunt by law enforcement officials to identify members of the mob that had forced its way into the Capitol. And uh, yeah, Mr. Mostofsky, he's 34. He is the son of Kings County Supreme Court Judge Stephen Mostofsky, who also goes by Shlomo. He and his father are registered Democrats, according to New York State election records. Now, I'm not going to lie. The Trump big tent grew because some Democrats moved over. And maybe some of those Democrats haven't really adopted the uh, Gandhi-like Tea Party methods that we had back in 2010, 2012. But somehow I think this seems a little more contrived than to pretend as though this is all Organic and natural. Now, going back to Mr. Shaman, everybody said, oh, he's the QAnon shaman. No, he's not. He's a climate change activist. Listen to this guy talk about his shamanism. Some video of you dancing, doing your music. 
let's talk about the spiritual aspect of what you do. And you'll probably do a little bit here before we get kicked off today. Sure. So um, what I do is I practice something known as shamanism. And in shamanism, they sing, they dance, they drum, and they inform the community. They dress up in a way that chases off evil spirits. The singing and the drumming is about chasing off evil spirits because uh, sound actually precedes electromagnetic activity. So when you sing and you drum, especially when you do so really loudly, you end up affecting the quantum realm. And this has been being done for thousands of years to ward off evil spirits, ward off negative timelines, and to basically bring positive energy. So part of the reason why I dress this way is because if we were going to have have like a uh, infiltrator or something like that. They'd be a witch. They'd be a sorcerer or something like that on the dark side. So I practice life magic. I practice the light side or the positive side of shamanism. And when they see me, they go, "Oh, yeah, we got a we got a big fish out here. We yeah. better not try and stir things up." Well, yeah, not I, I can see drum circles, which are usually associated with Occupy Wall Street and hippies and Antifa and Black Lives Matter. They're not doing drum circles with the Trump supporters. That's not how we roll. Andy No had a great, great capture here. One of the men who is part of the siege of the Capitol building is John Earl Sullivan, an extreme Black Lives Matter activist from Utah. He was arrested and charged in July 2020 over a Black Lives Matter Antifa riot where drivers in Provo were threatened and one was shot. So we're supposed to believe this was all MAGA Trump people here. Here's an interesting part of the entire event. Catherine Heritage from CBS. Yeah, she's got a little bit of clout. Hashtag Capitol Building. Timeline. Critical window. Wednesday is coming into focus. 12.30 p.m. to 1.15 p.m. While President of the United States addressed the rally before he concluded, a group was already pushing onto the grounds of the Capitol Building and first pipe bomb discovered at 12.45 at the RNC and the second pipe bomb at the DNC. So in the middle of Trump speaking, when they said, oh, he sent people out, we got to impeach him because he incited insurrection. Pipe bombs were being found before Trump even finished his freaking speech. Analysis. Pipe bombs may have been an effort to pull first responders from the Capitol, further weakening security, to um from uh or to maim lawmakers evacuating photo 11 she's got a couple documents here 11 suspected idds improvised incendiary devices also found near the capital not known if connected or separate pipe bombs i would say that's probably pretty important yeah that's uh interesting isn't it pipe bombs being set BLM activist, climate change activist, son of a judge, all involved with storming the Capitol for Trump. Now, here's another thing we got to be aware of. Now, they fortified the Capitol with 15,000 National uh, Guard troops. I guess they're worried about the inauguration that badly. I don't know of any uh, MAGA people that were planning to go up there and start storming the place with guns. But there's an event coming up, January 17th, 12 p.m., at the Washington Memorial to the White House and all 50 state capitals. It's called Refuse to be Silenced. Armed march on Capitol Hill in all state capitals. It says, over 200 years ago, our founding fathers fought for the rights and liberties of this nation. Don't let them efforts be in vain. Demand freedom and the corruption stand for liberty. You should see this flyer. It's, it looks like a communist flyer. It's all red, yellow letters. It looks like something Antifa would put out. It looks like something communist uh, uh, party USA used to put out. And we're supposed to believe that these coming up, armed riots, armed marches are MAGA? Or is this a way to further destroy anyone who wants to stand for America first and wants to stand for conservatism and just use it as a way to eliminate all of that movement, the Tea Party movement, everything into domestic terrorism? Seems like that might be the case. First off, my message to you is don't march. 
Watch it on the TV. If you still have your Twitter account, which mine, I still have. Parlor is down. We're going to be there as soon as it opens back up. And we're hearing that they finally signed a deal with a hosting service that will support them. Same one as Gab. I'm on Gab. I'm on Clout Hub. I'm hoping to have an interview with Jake from Clout Hub here soon so we can talk about some alternatives. I'm on all those platforms at Adrian Slade or at Rants Out Loud, whichever. Go look for either one. But if you still have your Twitter account, I lost 700 followers. And it's not me bellyaching about, I lost followers, they're leaving me. No, I'm more mad because it's 700 good patriots that got just shafted. Boom, gone, see you later. And I know it is because I follow a lot of them back. Typically, if you follow me and I go through your timeline and you look legit, I may give you a follow back. Well, my follows, it proportionally decreased along with my followers and the lack thereof. So Twitter is on the rampage. But if you do have access to leftist social media, watch the marches on those items too, whether it's YouTube, Facebook. I'm not telling you to give them clicks or give them participation and, and help them out. I'm just saying you're, you, you don't need to be involved in these armed marches. They're going to be weaponized against you. And the fact that a Forbes article is going to come out saying, we're hoping we're holding those who lied for Trump accountable. Yeah, this is actually a Forbes article it said the insurrection was rooted in lies that a fair election was stolen. Although we talked about how it was stolen, how Dominion votes uh, took ballots that are, were electronically logged and moved them over to an adjudication file where they can delete them, where they were connected to the Internet, where people went home at eight o'clock at night to count votes in the morning, where dead people were voting in Nevada. We can go on and on. That a significant defeat was actually a landslide victory that the world's oldest democracy ingenuously insulated via autonomous state voting regimes is a rigged system. Such lies upon lies repeated frequently and fervently providing the kindling, the spark, the gasoline that Donald Trump devolved from commander in chief to liar in chief. Didn't surprise Forbes as we've chronicled early and often for all of the billions and Barnum like abilities. He's been shamelessly exaggerating and he's been doing this in our faces for almost four decades. More astonishing, the number of people willing to lend credence to that obvious mentality is out there on display. In this time of transition and pain, reinvigorating democracy requires a reckoning, a truth reckoning, starting with the people that pay, people paid by the people to inform the people. But they want to keep us on a list. This is Adrian Slade. YouTube has banned Trump. Twitter has banned Trump. Pinterest, Spotify, Shopify. I guess he's not going to be able to order anything. I don't, I don't freaking know. And one of the interesting things about that entire situation was the fact that you have Twitter banning conservatives because they're saying, oh, that's QAnon. They're QAnon people automatically just assuming we're all buying into that crazy uh, nonsense. Like I said, there's little elements of it that seem to have a little bit of a toe in truth, but most of it, you know, collapsing tunnels across the country of child sex trafficking that's causing earthquakes that are registering at 4.5 on the Richter scale, holograms of leaders such as Mike Pence, who has already been executed down in Gitmo. I don't buy any of that. But... The QAnon people I do know, they're sitting around trying to decipher QAnon drops. They're not picking up weapons and beating people in the streets. They're not burning auto zones and, and shooting ex-sheriffs in cold blood to their death. They're sitting around going, trust the plan. But for some reason, they all had to be excommunicated from, from Twitter and what have you. You know? And while that's happening, we got the GOP not setting precedents. We don't want to indict a presidential candidate for illegal behavior under the current administration because it would look too political. And the DNC's out there going, let's impeach him twice, eight days before he leaves. Let's use the 25th Amendment. And while all that's going on, Twitter, and I'm going to use an example, and I did a lot of research over the week 
on this election in Uganda. Really interesting. If anything, just look it up for the sheer interesting side of it. But I'm looking for the underlying theme of why tech is supporting one side versus the other. Well, what I've whittled it down to is something I want to get into in a minute, but it's something on a global scale. But Twitter, after they've eliminated Donald Trump, to which Angela Merkel from Germany is like, "Ah, I don't think that's a good idea. Angela Merkel. Well, Twitter public policy posted this. They basically said, ahead of the Ugandan elections, we are hearing reports that internet service providers are being ordered to block social media and messaging apps. We strongly condemn internet shutdowns. They are hugely harmful and violate basic human rights and the principles of the open internet. What? Earlier this week, in close coordination with our peers, we suspended a number of accounts targeting the election in Uganda. If we can attribute any of this activity to state-backed actors, we will disclose to our archive of information to the operations. Access to information and freedom of expression, including the public conversation on Twitter, is never more important than during the democratic processes, particularly elections. Uganda decides 2021. We just had this same entity block a Hunter Biden story by the New York Post from being allowed to be shared before the election. We just had this same entity after the election put disclaimers and warning stickers all over Trump's tweets when he felt like he was not given a fair election. And then they banned him for good. But then they're going to talk about Freedom of expression, including the public conversation, which is never more important during democratic processes like the Ugandan election. That's a head scratcher. So I did a little research on Uganda. Really interesting. So right now we have Yari Museveni. He is the leader since I think he's been in there since 1986. So the guy was a part of the uprising. Um, he ends up taking control and winning election back in 86. I don't know if it was a good election, but he ends up being in power. And he is the uprising resistance against some militant powers back then. He ends up getting in and he gets reelected multiple times, almost to his term limit to where he does like Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping and just gets rid of, yeah, we don't need term limits anymore. But... It's interesting when you get into his background. So he has been president of Uganda since 1986. Museveni was involved in the rebellions that toppled Ugandan leaders Abdi Amin back in, uh, and also Milton Abdate, uh, 1971 through 79 and 1980 through 85, before he captured power in the 80s. He was part of the National Resistance Movement, founded, by, uh, founded as a liberation movement that waged a guerrilla war through its rebel wing, the National Resistance Army, that toppled the government in 1986. And according to the National Resistance Movement, it restored political stability, security, law and order, and constitutionalism, and the rule of law in Uganda. Now, listen to these reports. Basically what happened was Facebook decided they're going to go through and just eliminate a bunch of accounts associated with this guy who's already in power, Museveni. And they're going to go ahead and eliminate... His, peop- uh, his social media accounts for people that are surrounding him. But they're supporting this guy, Bobby Wine. That's not his real name, but he's this young 36-year-old guy. He's a pop singer, does like reggae. I guess he was elected to parliament in 2017. He wants to run and br- provide change to Uganda. And his method of communication is strictly internet because he doesn't have state-controlled media allowing him a platform. So he's using Facebook and Twitter and WhatsApp and all that stuff. And it's being propped up on one side for him. Now, you look at it from a surface view, you're like, okay, you got this guy, been in power since the 80s, got there through some sort of military means and won power. Maybe he is a despot dictator that we got to get rid of. 
So it should be good that a young, you know, youthful guy who is a revolutionary reggae singer from Uganda is going to stand up and, and fight and give power to the people. That sounds great on paper. It sounds like a, a nice movie, but it's a little more nuanced than that. And when you see what, si- what the ideologies are, because Uganda is a little bit more of a complicated situation. There's, there's different sects of ethnicities and tribes that want to control power. Um, it's not a cut and dry constitutional republic, not a democracy, right, Twitter? Like America is. Way more complicated, but there is some elements of why tech would support one side and not the other. So listen to this, uh, this news article uh, talking about the situation with Uganda. Let's cross over to Uganda, Kampala, where Wega Mori is standing by with the latest there. They go to the polls on Thursday. Earlier on, there was an internet shutdown. Wega, how did the people take that issue of shutting down the internet? What was their reaction to it? Well, Trevor, that was actually the big story here when we arrived this morning. Many residents of Uganda waking up to find uh, that their internet either was not working, uh, and for some of them it was actually pretty slow, but uh, also bearing in mind many of them were not able to access their favorite social media platforms. Of particular note, Twitter, Facebook, and WhatsApp as well. And that was a cause for concern for those whom we spoke with, whether just people on the streets or even uh, members of the fourth estate who use some of those platforms for their work. And this comes a couple of days after social media giant Facebook actually banned or shut down accounts of some pro-government voices and even some uh, voices within the Ministry of ICT as well. And this has raised a big question about where is the place of freedom of speech when it comes to some of these uh, big social media players. You know what happened in America with, with President Trump as well, but that's a story for another day. Nevertheless, it still is a challenge here to get uh, sort of that quick internet access. And it's one of the things that uh, one of the contestants in a Thursday's presidential election, Bobby Wine, Rob but Chagulani Sentamu is concerned about. And here is uh, one of his, uh, one of his uh, administration officials talking further about what's happened with why the lockdown on social media happened in Uganda. That is against the government and the NRM. We demand that Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram write officially to these individuals and since they have cited a government entity ministry of information we demand that facebook and twitter write to the minister of, of, of information and ict to provide reasons why they unilaterally without applying the rule of natural justice the right to fair hearing accorded to these individuals or indeed to the government of uganda because many of these people are on official platform of communication of the government of Uganda, and therefore they cannot be accused of being robots meant to unfairly influence the election, especially if you have not written to us, asking us to prove that indeed these individuals exist. Very, very surprising, they also went for private individuals. One of the people, some of the people you know them, a musician, an entertainer, a celebrity in town, full figure. Full figure, all of us know her, most of us in the media know her. That she's a musician who exists. She records herself usually with groups that are of interest to her. Could be chapati sellers, could be Bodoboda people. Nobody can claim that full figure is not available. Nobody can claim that Ashbal Kato doesn't exist. We can only conclude that these individuals were targeted because they have most recently joined the NRM. That's the only logical conclusion we can have. But we can just tell, apart from the demand, we, can, we should tell Facebook and Twitter, we shall have this election free, fair and credible believable by Ugandans, because that's our primary audience as government of Uganda. Our primary audience are the people of Uganda. So obviously he's a little concerned about tech siding one side over the other, kind of like we were. Now, granted, do I want the government to come through and 
shut down tech? Nah, not really. I want free speech, but I don't want tech eliminating conservatives in the process. So I wouldn't want tech eliminating the opposition in Uganda. So Museveni um, helped revitalize the country, according to uh, the history of this gentleman's uh, reign in Uganda. They say he provided political stability, a growing economy, and improves, uh, improved infrastructure. He insulated a number of capitalist reforms, listen to that, and supported a free press. Hmm, interesting. Although Museveni initially rejected multi-party democracy, arguing that it would degenerate into tribal politics, which is the complicated side of Uganda, gang. Um, he worried that it would also, in a poor country like Africa, or in a poor African country, he accepted the results of a 2005 referendum that overwhelmingly supported a return to multi-party politics. But then the next year, the country held its first multi-party elections since 1980, and Museveni implemented measures to combat, uh, combat AIDS uh, in Uganda, and uh, they actually, he actually did quite well in that battle. So getting rid of the... He, I guess he had a, a block on multi-party, uh, a multi-party democracy because of the tribal organizations that would go through and try to consolidate power and what have you. Um, it's obvious that Uganda is a little bit of a different story over there, but it sounds like he did put in place some capitalist reforms and things of that nature, but his party was based on social liberalism. So right there, premise is set. But remember, we did this because I'm not afraid of truth. I'm not afraid of looking for the truth and not just siding with a narrative. We did this with Venezuela because Maduro was going up against Juan Guaido and everybody on Conservative Inc. on Twitter, the blue check marks, seeing the crowds in support of Juan Guaido. Yeah, go! We might finally have change in Venezuela. And I said, let's look into Juan Guaido. Who is this guy? We started looking in and found out his party was Democratic Socialist. Hmm, kind of like Bernie Sanders? Now, granted, a move from Maduro to somewhere else would be great, but what exactly were you replacing with Maduro's regime? A Democratic Socialist regime? And he seemed a little malleable for me. Now, granted, that he didn't win, although he did, thanks Dominion Voting. <laughs> but regardless of that, it's this kind of situation that I'm seeing on a global scale. Like Justin Trudeau in Canada suddenly getting in power. He's all about build back better. He wants to be a part of the global union. The, worries, the worried part for me, the part that I worry about with this Bobby Wine guy, is is he, because he's a socialist too, is he somebody that's going to come through and defeat this guy who added some capitalist reform and added some constitutional layers who may have put himself into a tyrannical uh, uh, dictatorship situation, but he's doing so because of the nature of the vacuum that could happen in Uganda. Remember, this is the show. The show you're listening to right now just pulled apart the narrative of Syria and how Assad, as much as we don't like him, would not be a good idea to get rid of him. And the people there support him. But the mainstream media wants you to act like he's Saddam Hussein part two. I think we're looking at a similar situation here with Uganda. You pull him out. Who takes the power? So this Bobby Wine guy, he looks good on paper. He's 38, former pop star. He's a part of the National Unity Platform. This guy has been, and regardless of what you think about my program, I'm not taking a side on Uganda and their elections. Either one of them sounds like they suck. But... This guy, Bobby Wine, just under attack. I mean, one of his one of his bodyguards, I think, was killed, driven over by a truck. He was on he was doing an interview in Kenya, and he cut the interview short because his house was being raided by the Ugandan police. Yeah, police in Uganda have confronted the presidential candidate Bobby Wine during an online press conference where he announced a petition to the International Criminal Court 
to investigate rights abuses in the country. Wine said police fired five rounds and tear gas and arrested his campaign team in the latest episode of an escalating crackdown on him and his team by state security forces ahead of the election. So, yeah, he's, uh, he's an interesting cat. But a lot of people have said that he's seen as malleable, that he doesn't have an ideological stance, even though the party that he is running is very um, socialist. But that makes you wonder, why? Why is the left, big tech globally, supporting this guy? Is it because he can be contorted into the global union if he is the winner? Sounds like he could to me. So um, I think we also need to get into um, this Jacobin magazine article about him that I thought was really interesting. It says, what the corporate media doesn't get about Bobby Wine. And again, I'm not taking sides. I'm not saying you go with this guy who's, who's set himself into power since 1986. I'm saying if big tech is siding with one side, you got to be skeptical of the side they're setting their, their eyes upon because what they did in America should be an indication as to where their, their loyalties lie. So this is from Jacobin. The corporate media loves to explain complex political situations through shiny figures, and in Africa, the latest is Bobby Wine, Uganda's biggest pop star and leading opposition figure. But understanding the country's strongman politics takes a lot more than parachuting in for the weekend Ever since Bobby Wine, Uganda's biggest pop star, won his seat in Parliament in a contested 2017 race, Western journalists have flocked to the country's capital, Kampala, to conduct interviews with him and, his, and profile him. And you should see some of these profiles. They gush over him. That's my other, that's the other spidey sense that starts tingling is when I see global media, The Guardian, UK Daily Mail, uh, you know, CNN. New York Times, New York Post, Washington Post, they're all giving him these gushing profiles. Makes you go, uh, what's this guy all about? Um, the interest is certainly justified. In a short time, wine, real name Robert Sassentiumi, uh, I guess that's how you say his name. <laughs> don't ask me. I don't, you know, I'm not from Uganda. Has, although I had a friend from Uganda. He's a really nice guy, but has turned a decade-long career in music often addressing the problems faced by Uganda's poor into political movement, into a political movement of which he undoubtedly at the center and one that has the Ugandan state nervous um, pushed him to the lead. He has announced he will challenge President Yawari Museveni for the presidency in 2021, far from replicating, it, uh, replicating the conventional trappings for which Western journalists are often criticized with regards to reporting on Africa and its politics, Reporting on wine has presented a rather distinct challenge, one that reinforces formidable challenges in Ugandan political history. Um, one of the things that uh, they get into is uh, right here. These parachute journalists, have um, they make elementary mistakes. For example, they consider that this is a binary choice, that while... Wine is handsome, an incredible voice, has catchy songs. Um, in the political lexicon, it's a little bit more nuanced than what you see, good versus evil, right versus wrong. These parachute journalists uh, make elementary mistakes. For example, journalist Dave Pilling, in an article based on his interview with Wine in, um, published in the Financial Times, not only confused the ingredients of his own lunch, but also of, of Wine's associates. However, the bigger problem with the Financial Times coverage and many of the outlets that have reported on Wine is that they failed to deliver anything of substance or context regarding the nuances of Ugandan politics and the challenges facing Wine and the, quote, people power, which is the movement that he's pushing. With few exceptions, um, the only context usually included in interviews and in short profiles on Wine are the one or two lines devoted to Museveni and his 33 years in power, often in the same brain-numbingly similar formula. Many of the articles that they have penned, the readers are led to uh, construct a simple bipolar model of young versus old, good versus evil, a pitched political battle between two equal opposite forces. This cannot be further from the case. 
most significantly, and as someone who has spent considerable more days in Uganda researching the Ugandan political landscape, there are other political actors to consider. That's the difference right there. It's kind of like with Joe Biden, you know? They put Joe Biden in, they installed their leader, and then they said, oh, you know, it's him versus Trump, when it's really the deep state behind it. Who's behind these people? Well, in Uganda, Dr. Kiza Besaiji and his Forum for Democratic Change, which prior to the emergence of Bobby Wine and the people power, were the primary force of Uganda's opposition. Now, this guy, a former army officer, medical doctor, and one-time confidant of Museveni, has until recently been most prominent op- the most prominent opposition leader. For his troubles, he has faced multiple arrests and is likely under constant surveillance, and he and his supporters have been subject, uh, subjected to violent attacks by the police. He has been and remains a critical figure on the Ugandan political landscape, so much so that many believe Wine's success in defeating Museveni depends on his cooperation in forming a coalition that could front a single candidate. So, in other words, and as he heard many times, Basegi was people power before people power was people power. He was, in fact, constantly, he's been the runner-up in all four presidential elections since the multi-party dispensation was restored in 2005 receiving a high 37% of the party vote in, 20, in 2006. It is true that we can never know the real vote counts in the elections in Uganda, where every public institution from the Electoral Commission to the police to the military to the Supreme Court rests firmly in the grip of Museveni's t- uh, ten- uh, tenacular authority, but his electoral performance in spite of the corruption is all more impressive. Plenty of others, including Basenje himself, have so little faith in the democratic process being of the belief that President Museveni, through various institutions, has rigged some of, or all of the presidential and parliamentary elections that the notion of a coalition as a solution to the problem is laughable. Still more, like Simpala, believe Basinchi, um has developed the same narcissist, uh, narcissistic tendencies inherent to the despot that he has so long tried to unseat. But what you have to get into is the fact that um, the Bobby Wine's people's power front, they, they, he's saying this is perhaps one of the reasons undergirding the emergence of the latest political force in Uganda, a breakaway from the Forum of Democratic Change, the Alliance for National Transformation, led by General Mushiga Manutu, um, this is that's understanding Bobby Wine's chances of going forward. Those are the details that are critical to it. And what you're not going to read in the Financial Times, let alone Los Angeles Times and The Guardian and any other mainstream publication is that there is also little or no mention to the others who have recently aided in the opposition to Museveni's regime. For, for example, Francis Zake, the MP who was arrested and tortured on the same day as Wine or Ziggy Wine, the people power musician who was abducted and then died shortly after his body was dumped at Malongo Hospital or nearly 30, uh, the nearly 30 opposition pol- uh, politicians and supporters, including MPs Cassiano Wardry and Paul Moir, who were arrested in Arua in August of 2018 and continue to face trumped up treason charges. Um, they don't, the publications don't mention, mention any of them and the publications nor do they broaden the discussion of Wine's political movement, and therefore readers are precluded um, from understanding what the people's power is and what it is not. Some attention has been given to Wine's views on homosexuality, which, from what I have seen and heard, seem to have undergone a shift. Though people's power lacks an overt policy recognizing LGBT rights, it is far from participating in the violent anti-homosexual rhetoric that is pervasive in Uganda's parliament. Reporting on policy positions beyond this, which has always been more focused on Wine's personal sentiments, that on his movement is virtually non-existent. Admittedly, People Power, as a political organization, Wine and his affiliates would object to this label, suffers from an extreme lack of policy. Apart from the rhetoric 
regarding corruption, unemployment, and the need to build stronger independent institutions, People's Power offers little in terms of a substitute or derivative agenda. See, that's the thing. You think of Obama. You think of Trudeau. You think of all of these nations with these new leaders, even Juan Guaido. There wasn't substantive issues that they laid out. Now, they laid out some issues that the country has that anyone would see right off the top of their head, but they don't ever lay out how to make these things happen. So why would tech be siding with this guy, the reggae pop singer down there in Uganda? Why would, be, why would big tech be hostile to Donald Trump, be hostile to uh, Bolivar down there in uh, Brazil? Because they're sovereigntists. I've talked about sovereigntists for a while. I've talked about it's not it's it's a form of nationalism. The leader of Uganda that's in power right now, he has instilled Ugandan nationalism and some semblance of capitalism, even though he may not be a leader you or I would ever want to live under. Whether or not somebody who could provide good change, we would celebrate. But the opposition that these countries are getting, you know, you look at Hungary. Hungary just outlawed. Uh, I want to say they outlawed abortion. Um, they did something on homosexuality too. And they're getting raked over the coals because the leader of Hungary, who is a sovereigntist, also understands the importance of the nuclear family, which Marxists like BLM despise. So I want to go full, full circle and say what they're doing with these armed protests up on the inauguration day, what big tech is doing. This is to eliminate a sovereigntist movement. This is to eliminate those who are America first, Uganda first, Brazil first, Hungary first, Brexit. This is so that they can move into a global union. This is the part of the Great Reset. It's another cog in the wheel for the socialist economic change that Soros and the United Nations of Davos wants to instill upon us. So keep that in mind when you see these things in the news. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. Check out the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker. Uh, tune in. We're also on iHeart and Overcast. Any uh, any podcast platform you can probably find us on adriansladeshow.com is the blog also check out the new news site omnia news i'm a contributor over there we will see you guys next time god bless